and I don't want to give the impression that I'm constantly just thinking about the financial aspect of it. It's just that, um, you know, your, your life and, and, and is so tied to money decisions throughout it, as you know, I mean, you've dedicated your life to educating people about this, um, that, uh, it, yeah, and when it moves from the theoretical to the highly, highly personal, it uh, it's a, a very, very different feeling. In this extended episode, my good friend Darren Deal is going to explain the emotional and financial impacts of living through the coronavirus pandemic after getting laid off having a heart attack, and then getting diagnosed with lung cancer. We had a wide-ranging conversation about not only his health, but also the financial implications of everything he's been through and is going through. From critical illness insurance, disability benefits, emergency funds, and more, Darren talks openly about the decisions he and his family have made and how his perspective about the balance between money, life, and health have evolved. There is a lot to absorb in this episode, and I want to thank Darren for volunteering to tell his story. This is Mostly Money, and I am your host, Preet Banerjee, and on the show today, I'm going to be speaking with a friend who's been diagnosed with two critical illnesses, heart attack and cancer. And we're going to talk about how that completely upended his entire life and, of course, his financial life as well. So he's going to share his story about his experience, how it all happened. We're going to talk about the financial aspects, what insurance he had in place. We're going to talk about how much the drugs cost uh, and how that threatened to potentially bankrupt him and how a whole new suite of financial decisions arose from everything that's happened so far. He's a dear friend of mine, and he thought it would be worthwhile to tell his story because we both agree that there is a lot that can be learned from it. And he's been a financial educator and marketer for much of his career, and so he was eager to help people learn and think about just how easily life can change in an instant. Darren Deal. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Preet. I was, I'm interested to hear myself talk, as they say, after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, first question is, um, how are you doing right now? Right now, um, I feel great. I mean, um, my heart attack was uh, in late May of uh, 2020. So I'm, you know, six months plus, basically, from my surgery date where I had a quintuple bypass. That was June 1st of last year. And, um, so from, from, from that perspective, um, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, uh, doing my walking. I'm actually in a, uh, uh, a rehab program now that got, had gotten, normally that would happen, uh, within a couple months after your surgery, but it was delayed from COVID and now they've, they're delivering these programs online instead of, uh, you know, at a kind of like a medical gym type place. Um, so yeah, I feel good about that. And then with the cancer, I'm, I'm in the treatment that requires that I take a pill every day, uh, which is a targeted therapy drug. Uh, so I've not had to endure chemotherapy or radiation to this point. Um, 
uh, radiation uh, may happen a little bit later this year. Um, but uh, so the side effects of the targeted therapy drug aren't anything like those other two things. So all, all things considered, day to day, I feel pretty good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Of course, we met initially through the financial services, but we didn't really connect more deeply until after I met your wife, uh, Jeanette. And Jeanette was actually one of the directors on Million Dollar Neighborhood on the Oprah Winfrey Network, of which I was uh, host of season two. She took me aside one day in between takes and uh, she said, you know, I think you know my husband. And I'm thinking to myself, Jeanette, 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 deal, deal, deal. I'm like, Darren deal? And she's like, yeah, Darren's my husband. <laughs> and, uh, and and then it was after that that we really started to, to get to know each other well. And of course, working on a show together, you know, you get, you become very close very quickly, spending so much time, right? And I had a blast working with Jeanette. So I thought maybe you could just talk a little bit about your background in the financial, like just very quickly, sure. you know, how you got into the service and, and kind of what you did. Sure. I started out, uh, as a journalist. And uh, I worked for years at Standard Broadcasting, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, you know, it owned some of the biggest radio stations in Canada, uh, CJD in Montreal and CFRB in, in, in Toronto. Uh, and they had a national news network. And I um, worked for them for many years. Um, and then the, an interesting thing happened is the, the, the general manager of the news service left uh, to go to a mutual fund company in the 90s. And the, the rest of us are going, well, you know, Ken, uh, a chap named Ken Whitehurst, I said, why, why are you going to mutual fund company? He says, well, they're, you know, at the, uh, you know, they're figuring out a way to communicate with advisors that's kind of news-like and, you know, they have this thought and this idea and, it's, and okay. So eventually Ken hired some of um, the reporters and, and journalists that worked for him at Standard and brought them over to what at the time was Global Strategy Mutual Funds, another company that no longer exists, got bought by AGF around uh, 2000. But they had... Uh, an interesting marketing idea at the time, which we would now refer to as content marketing. And essentially it's, a, you know, where you um, provide interesting and valuable uh, content to your target audience, in this case, financial intermediaries, uh, and do it on a sort of day-to-day -day urgent basis like news, you know. <clears throat> so there was a bunch of journalists that were working there. That then led me down the path to sort of stay in that world for a while. And I went from there to Rogers, which had launched Advisors Edge magazine uh, previous to me going there. But they, the the year I went there, they launched their website Advisor.ca, and so I was running that the, that uh, public those publications and and their um, Advisor Forum conference and everything for about five years at Rogers. Then I went to Stockhouse.com, which was a you know small cap investors hub for a few years, and then. Um, ended up uh, going to another financial services company, this time a life insurance company, Sun Life, where I launched something called Brighter Life, which was uh, a new service, but for the general public. Um, uh, you know, um, I, so we were creating content and connecting with uh, content creators like yourself and, and other people that, you, you know, we all know in the financial services education field. And then um, from there, after five years, I ended up going to Tangerine Bank, where I was uh, up until November of 2019. And there we'd also um, help them launch and create content um, 
for their for their audience. So I've I've always been around sort of the 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 education side of it, and that's how you and I interacted many many times over the last several years. Let's fast forward to 2019 November. So this is when things really started like. Like there's these massive fork in the road moments for you that all kind of happened all around the same time. Yeah. So do you want to walk us through? Yeah. Um, so you know so, that story. Yeah, I mean, um, ahead of the pandemic, just by a couple of months, I got uh, laid off at uh, from Tangerine. You know, some new leadership had come in, and there was a number of colleagues of time that were laid off that year. But um, so I went into. Uh, 2020 uh, in job search mode. And, you know, very quickly into 2020, we were all hit with something no one had predicted, which was the pandemic. And that um, really sort of turned things upside down. At the same time, I was doing um, something that a lot lot of other people did in lockdown. I was uh, trying to keep up my exercise by walking and working out online. And then on uh, on that day in May, uh, it was a Sunday morning. I'd had um, just finished uh, an exercise session, a Zoom class with you know five or six other uh, of of uh, my trainer's clients, and you know I went in the house and start within a couple hours. I didn't start. I wasn't feeling well, um, and I I felt sort of some discomfort across my chest. Um, but I thought you know we done we'd done a lot of uh, chest work that workout, and I thought I just uh, you know. Uh, I never once thought the word heart attack. And this was like on a Sunday. And what happened is I did sort of get sick to my stomach and I did spend the next few days sort of feeling ill. And at no point did I think I had a heart attack or would anyone think, hey, I think you might have. (laughs) So um, because every, there was such a talk about COVID, we were starting to worry that, well, maybe these, you know, I've got a few of the, the symptoms that they list. And, uh, I did call Telehealth Ontario, and at the end of the call, uh, remarkably, the nurse said, uh, listen, Mr. Deal, I've actually called an ambulance to come to your house because I believe you've had a heart attack. Now, keep in mind, the heart attack that she believed I had would have happened on the Sunday, and this is now the following Friday before I actually called. So I had so almost a full week after Almost having- a full week, but what had happened is on the Thursday, a different chest uh, feeling came in, uh, and... Uh, I was feeling some discomfort in my chest again. The ambulance came and they they said, well, you certainly don't look like you're having a heart attack now. I said, well, I'm not, but here's the story. And they said, well, I, they hooked me up to the, to, you know, to the heart monitor and everything and said, everything looks okay, but let's take you in and, you know, get your COVID test and they can run some other tests. So I was in the hospital for a few hours there. Um, uh, and they'd taken some blood, and then a, a doctor came by at one point and said, "Listen, there's still a couple more tests I want to do, but if they're like the other thing, you know, we'll probably send you home, and we'll, you'll hear whether or not you're, you know, and give your instructions. If you're positive for COVID, we'll let you know." Well, after he got the last test, he came back, sat on the edge of my bed, looked at me, and said, "Mr. Deal, you've had a heart attack." Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, 
and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I, I couldn't really believe it, but um, that then led to, of course, chest X-rays um, and uh, an angiogram and a, and a couple days later where they determined that they could see that I had a number of blockages and I would have to have surgery uh, to uh, basically bypass uh, at least, you know, four. Uh, I, I, they thought it was going to be four bypass. It ended up being five. Um, but the other thing that happened during that time was um, a doctor came to see me and said, listen, you know, we, we, we took some chest x-rays because we wanted to see if you'd had a pleural infusion and we just wanted to check and see what we could see around the heart and everything. Um, and we did find something that we're not sure uh, that we need to investigate further. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, there's a, there's a couple of lesions on, there's one on your left lung and one on your right lung. And, um, and I said, well, what do you mean lesions? And said, well, we're not sure what it is. It could be a lot of things, but, you know, including some scary things. It could be, you know, some other things altogether. So, you know, um, I'm still dealing with the fact that <laughs> within the last couple of days, I was told I had a heart attack. I have to go for major surgery. And now they throw this at me. And of course, no one said the word cancer. No one said the word cancer. But what's the first word you think I thought of? Um, and so I did not have a great night that night uh, in the hospital. Um, turns out, you know, I had the surgery, the, the heart surgeon uh, was able to find and remove one of the lesions. Uh, while I was still at the hospital, the last uh, recovering from the heart surgery, um, he came and let me know that, um, you know, they, they ran pathology and it is a kind of lung cancer that they discovered. Um, but they believe they, you know, that they had extracted most of it. Then the focus was, you know, recovering from the heart surgery because the first six weeks are pretty tough because you've had your chest bone split open. And so as I was released from the hospital after 16 days where they'd removed that uh, one lump, uh, you know, on my lung, um, around that area, there seemed to have been some spread, including a couple of lymph nodes. And so at first they were thinking if, you know, if it was just, if I had just the single spot, it would be stage one potentially. But, you know, this was clearly in their mind, uh, a, a, a different situation. And so it was like stage four. And they said, well, what does that mean? And it's like the, the doctors, these are tough conversations. And remember in the time of COVID, these conversations are happening over the phone. Right. Uh, so I wasn't sitting in, in, a, in an office with these doctors. Um, uh, the facts being, you know, stage four lung cancer discovery, what you've got 19% chance of living five years. You know, you, you've always struck me as, you know, you're a healthy guy. Like, you know, I'd follow you on Instagram and, and, you know, you're working out religiously, working up a sweat. And, um, you know, I, I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you, you have, you know, a family doctor that you've been working with for years. Yeah. You go to your physicals. Well, we had those conversations, Preet. I know, like, for instance, uh, my doctor, family doctor and I, when I saw him, you know, post-recovery, um, he was saying, well, you know, Darren, as you know, like, you, you for the, on the heart stuff, you've never had high cholesterol. Uh, you know, my cholesterol level was always in control. And and then secondly, you know, I not have, I am not and have never been a smoker. So lung cancer, as I 
learned, um, there's different kinds. And well, the kind I have is called non-small cell lung cancer, and it is, a, it is not smoking related. When we hear, you know, information about probabilities of, you know, heart attack, cancer, and the risk factors, even if you are doing all the right things, it doesn't mean that, oh, you're, you're guaranteed not to have these ailments affect you, right? Yeah. The probabilities may be lower, but it can still yeah. happen. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think that's one of the things, whenever, you know, people hear stories like this, it, it makes them think a little bit more about their own situation. But I, you know, I, I encourage people, I, I know so many people who, you know, have gone so many years without doing the physical and they are not even keeping track of those things, like those baseline, like, you know, what's your blood pressure, what's your cholesterol level and stuff like yes. that. That's stuff you got to do. Uh, but even then, you know, it, it's no guarantee. So, okay, so you've now been diagnosed with a heart attack. They've found this particular type of uh, cancer in your lungs. And so what uh, what time period are we talking about? Now? So, but we learned, um, I got, uh, the surgery was June 1st uh, and about, and I'd been in the hospital at that point about a week. So a week later, I was out. Six weeks after that is when I had the PET scan. So about two months after the surgery is, because you know, there's about a week delay um, that I found out about. The, I, I knew I had cancer, but I, I found out the stage kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, um, you know, the, basically on that call, the um, surgical oncologist and the radiation oncologist said, "Look, we're not really in the picture right now because you've just had you know major surgery, and there's the the level of this spread, you know." There's, radiation guy said, I can't, you know, if I were to radiate you that much, it'd kill you kind of thing. So we're handing you over for now to the medical oncologist. And, you know, we might come back into the picture at some point, but, you know, and the medical oncologist, we'd had one meeting with a terrific, uh, a terrific guy. He explained that in some, you ha- it's, it's one thing you learn about cancer is there's specifics to the kind of mutation you have. And, you know, so you have a certain kind of cancer with a, a certain markers of mutation that means it falls into this category. And I happen to be have one that fell into the category that was um, uh, could be treated with uh, a pill that was pretty, pretty new, like only approved 2018 kind of thing. You know, uh, he told me, um, we, you know, we're going to want to start you on this pill, but it it's quite expensive and how expensive? And he said, "Well, for a year's supply, because you take it every day, it's it's like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> one hundred and thirty thousand dollars per year. Yeah, it's like we worked it out. It's like three hundred and fifty bucks a pill. <laughs> so here's how it works uh, in Ontario. It's and and across Canada, um, there's I think similar things. So." It's not covered by OHIP, and in, in many cases, it might not be covered by your private uh, insurance. Um, there's campaigns, you know, underway, Lung Cancer Canada is involved with, to get them, you know, covered and under both those scenarios. Uh, but in Canada, that, that so when you mentioned off the top there, well, how are we going to afford to pay this? First of all, I'm not working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> secondly, you know... Um, and it's not that we wouldn't, we'd find a way to do it because it's, you know, a matter of life or death or hopefully buying a number of years that you might otherwise not have had. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I've learned about it since, but, um, the doctor told us about the Ontario Trillium program, which is kind of a way of covering catastrophic drug costs for people that don't have insurance because 
keep in mind, like, uh, my wife, as you know, is freelance in the television world and has been for like the last 20 years or so. And I was the guy full time with the benefits, but now we mm-hmm. were both not, you know, we were without our benefits. So we didn't have our medical benefits anymore. Hadn't moved yet to sort of buy like Blue Cross or something to sort of fill in that gap. You know, we're still sort of figuring it out. Um, but I was covered up till the end of um, May. <laughs> And when I had my heart attack, and just come, we'll talk about this in a minute because I know we're going to talk specific products yeah. and what they did for us. But, um, um, but now, you know, uh, there was nothing. And so he said, yeah, you apply for it. You tell them the story. And the, um, the way it, uh, now, of course, people of different means can apply for it. And, uh, the way they kind of equalize it is what's the deductible that you pay. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they look at your tax records from the previous year and they calculate um, your deductible. So uh, the deductible that we were responsible for over the course of the year, you didn't have to pay the whole thing up front, but over the course mm-hmm. of the year would have added up to uh, about $12,000, I think. Um, the the drug manufacturer of the, of the specific uh, burn, uh, drug that I was taking, uh, they have a program that knocks a couple thousand off of that and so on. So then it was really down to, you know, imagining that I'd be taking it for the next year and hopefully longer, but just looking at it in a year by year basis, it was about 10 grand we had to come up with. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so we had some, we had some options for that. Uh, and uh, however, I didn't have to pull the trigger on any of them because I, I was visited by my former boss from my days at Rogers Media. And then I found out two days later that he and a few other former colleagues had started a, uh, a GoFundMe uh, for me and which in oh, a two nice. or three days, basically all Amazing. ex-colleagues from different jobs, uh, the 10 grand was covered. <laughs> was Amazing. Like, it, which was a wonderful, you know, just I felt uh, so... Uh, uplifting not just for the relief of you know having the money to cover it financially but just you know, the gesture was so beautiful and it was uh, yeah terrific oh it's so it's so touching i'm not surprised i mean you know you're such a great guy and um it's no no surprise that you've um, left such an impression on so many people that they would do that The conversation with Darren Deal continues in just a minute. I want to give a special shout out to Northern BC for not only leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, but for also completing my survey on financial advice. And a thank you to Massimo Moti for offering to buy me a whiskey if we ever run into each other at a Formula One weekend. And my friend, I will hold you to that. Taking just 30 seconds out of your day, and leaving a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts is much appreciated. And thank you to everyone who has already left ratings and reviews. I do read every single one. And now, back to the conversation with my friend, Gary. So let's talk about some of the timing issues. I mean, like, the timing is just horrible on so many different fronts. So, you know, you get uh, you get laid off, COVID hits, you have a heart attack, you get diagnosed with lung cancer basically straight after that. And, you know, at what point did the shock shift from, 
you know, the health perspective to potentially the financial perspective? Like at what point did, you know, did you get like a sinking feeling about, okay, what does this mean financially for my Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I don't know there was a specific point of demarcation for that. It was more, uh, it started to boil up as, even while I was in the hospital because I had been laid off in November of 2019, but I, I had a, an exit package which, you know, preserved my salary for a number of months. And then, you know, I, uh, through a lawyer, got that extended a bit more and it, it, pre- it preserved my salary and some of my benefits. And so... I knew that my benefits went up to at least the end of May, which was May 31st. And so the heart attack was uh, like third week of May. Um, so that was sort of covered. But And then uh, I said to my wife, you know, can you call? Because I had critical illness insurance. Uh, I thought we should see if, uh, because that could pay out. And we, you know, that we probably will need that money because I wasn't working. And so... It turned out that we first tried to apply for it based on the the easiest thing is the uh, if you had a coronary bypass that's one of the for heart attack that's one of the things that you can apply for and so you just need the proof that you had a coronary bypass so you need the surgical notes and all that and it was some paperwork we had to get together but then as it turned out um, uh, the, you know the bank and my insurance provider had a different opinion of what my technically last day of coverage was because oh, uh, te- the, ba- the bank, my employer was saying it was, it was May 31st. And the uh, initially the insurance provider said, well, his first day of retirement, because that's what they called it, you know, was uh, June 1st, which was the day of my surgery. And technically he'd be covered. Long story short, the bank was right. And my coverage had ended on the 31st. And so it was like, at the end of the day, we just had wasted some time. Not, it, it wasn't, um, you know, you may say, hey, well, they should have paid out anyways. It was a day later. But, you know, it, it, there's got to be a rule somewhere when it coverage ends. So I, I wasn't that freaked out about it because, um, you know, they said, well, now you, what you can do is you can apply for the heart attack. So then you had to get different evidence. And so whatever, there's two or three documents we had to get together. And then within a month, yeah, we were paid out uh, the money that we had. So... Um, so that, so really it started the, this, this thinking about the financial implications started in, uh, while I was in the hospital, but, um, to your point, it was more toward the late summer when, you know, because the doctor, the surgeon had said, well, you can't go back to work anyways until maybe mid-September, you know, some steps we'd taken years ago came into play. And that's where I think, you know, I wanted to, some of the points I wanted to make with you on this this call today are, I found as an educator, a lot of the content over the years that we did was trying to get people to understand the benefit of actions that they would take today that they wouldn't actually reap the benefits of potentially for years and years. So that's true about, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s about retirement savings. It's true when you start a family and you start to add things like Hopefully, you know, life, life insurance that you don't or, or any other kind of, uh, you know, insurance. There's, there's so many pressing needs when you're starting out in life and uh, in, in, a, in your financial life with your partner, you know, buy or, or rent and, you know, the costs around that and cars and, and other costs. And then you've got kids and you've got their education and their, so there's all this stuff and somewhere in there, 
you still have to be thinking, yeah, but one day if everything works out and you stay healthy, you're going to enter retirement and you have to have taken care of that. I kind of put all these things that we should talk about now as like uh, planned risks that not just me, but people like yourself and other people that I would run into uh, and just generally the industry that we're in, we're all about. These were known risks that could be mitigated against. You mm -hmm. can save for retirement. You can buy different kinds of insurance. You can do all these things. You know, a lot of this, these factors came in. And so I'll tell you specifically how. So let's look at uh, disability insurance. If you're a, a two-person household or two-working person household and you both work for companies that provide benefits, then, you know, you're pretty good shape because even if one of you were to lose their job for a while, you, you're covered by the other person's benefits and so on and so forth. In our case, I was always the one, uh, you know, for the last couple of decades of the, with the, with the benefits because my wife was freelance. So we, you know, that was an important part to keep in mind. I'd been laid off uh, from other, like over the course of my career, you know, different things happen. Companies buy other companies. There's mergers. There's up and down times and stuff. So I'd been laid off two previous times and had gaps in between before I landed. You know, uh, sometimes it was a quick transition to the next job, but sometimes it'd be a bit of a gap. And a friend of mine had about 15 or, or so years ago had gone through the same experience uh, and had decided uh, after one of those episodes that he and his wife would purchase uh, some disability insurance, X, whatever benefits they, they he might have with his job. So like in a top case, up? Yeah, in case at some point they were ever in the situation where neither of them were had benefits, but, you know, there was an illness. And, and so it prophetically proved to be a terrific decision and, uh, you know, it happened really just, I think, if I remember, just months before he was diagnosed with an aggressive kind of mental melanoma. Uh, Mike, a friend of mine, he's still with us today and uh, um, having a successful battle against his cancer, doing really well, but uh, still, uh, you know, drawing on his disability. So uh, it, 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 it made me think that, you know, this is a, something that we should, we should do because I don't if it's just one of us that has the benefits and if I'm unemployed. So we made the decision back then to apply for it. And then to make the claim, we had to wait three months till post the event of the heart attack mm -hmm. and, and the cancer diagnosis. And then we made the claim and it was accepted right away given the, the situation. So I started the fall off with, um, you know, some... Um, and, and, and I found myself pre kind of thanking, you know... My, well, certainly I thanked my advisor, who was, uh, you know, a big part of uh, the decision to do this. But my friend who, you know, had by example had taught this and, and even my younger self for having, <laughs> and my wife and I for having the, you know, we made the right decision. And of course, I know you know this really well, you're, you're, a lot of these things are like, there's times in our life where we're going, oh man, that things are tight right now, you know. We're paying all this money, like, you know, to, for insurance products or, you know, the premiums every month or this and that, you know, because we also had private health insurance outside of our benefits. And so that's one of the, the other lessons for me was private versus what's provided by your benefits. Hmm. And the other thing, and, you know, as you know, because I've, I've brought you into companies that I've worked at to educate people <laughs> about these issues. And we've written content on it uh, with your help. Um, 
uh, even if you have benefits, uh, it's so important to understand what they actually are. And within anyone's benefit package, there's always different options. So do you just take the base life insurance or do you pay a bit more to double it up? In my case, I had made a decision that, uh, you know, the critical illness insurance, which paid out against, you know, certain critical illnesses, including the two that I had, um, I, but I could only apply to one, <laughs> another story. But anyways, um, they, they, they pay it, it, you know, part of my package included one unit of it. So you got one unit of it, which was $25,000. And I decided to add, to pay for, like add premium and to get a second unit. Mm-hmm. So our payout was, you know, 50,000, which, but you know, I've, I've had friends that, um, have done the same thing, but they they topped it up to a hundred thousand, and um, so yeah, again, you're, you're sort of paying it out more. But to go back to the pay yourself first thing, it comes off your check. You just after a while, you operate life without knowing it, and so on. Having made the decision, you know, more than fifteen years earlier about getting the, the disability insurance, um, that also helped. And and with disability insurance, there's a couple of different kinds. You know, uh, there's the kind that we got, I guess, is the uh, little little better kind in some ways called a own occupation. So you're protected mm-hmm. against not being able to work in your own occupation. So, uh, you know, in other words, oh, you can't do your normal job, but you could go, you know, uh, do some other work or work in a coffee shop or whatever it might be. Um, so you're protected against um, the, the, your loss to be able to do your actual line of work. So that those two things were definitely um, something I was I, I was glad to have uh, had those decisions come back and sort of say, "Wow, uh, this is the benefit." In hindsight, now hopefully, people <laughs> you don't want these things to happen <laughs> in order to right. prove the value of the decision you made. <laughs> that is sort of the, the the perverse deal you're making with your insurance provider, which is you know you win if you make a claim. And yeah. you kind of hope that you don't win. Like you hope, you kind of exactly. hope that you lose that bet, right? Yeah. Because that means you have good health. Exactly. So, but there's just some things you, 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 you know, you, it's tough to predict. Um, so. How much was in your emergency fund or were you relying on like a line of credit as your emergency fund? How? No. Tell I mean, me about that. Yeah. So. With the sort of straight savings account emergency funds, that's the one that was would be volatile. So it would be, you know, we'd borrow against it, so to speak, to take a vacation, or we would borrow against it to help with a down payment for an automobile and so on and so forth. But over time, and the, so there were twice, there was twice in our life where we were carrying debt outside of mortgage that was primarily line of credit. Um, in both cases, you know, we tried to, um, uh, when we were younger, it took us longer to pay that one off, but later, but we still sort of focused on it and prioritized paying it off. And then later when we had it again, uh, you know, if, if any time I would get a bonus or, you know, some of the other kind of, um, um, extra beyond your salary earnings, I always look at that kind of debt first and mm-hmm. then, and then, uh, you know, say, plug some into savings and so on and so forth. So, but we certainly didn't have, you know, um, you know, so we we're talking about less than $10,000 probably in pure liquid uh, uh, emergency fund at that time. And, you know, I want to, um, we've 
talked about this, so I don't want to come across as callous to the listener when I raise this question. But, yep. you know, when it comes to your health diagnoses that you've had, one of the considerations is that, you know, your life expectancy is probably not what you thought it was, you know, like mm-hmm. 10 years ago, right? You, the trajectory of your life, you've totally had to reconsider it, including, you know, quality of life and, you know, you've got a certain amount of financial resources that maybe initially were planned for, you know, 20, 30 years of retirement, and maybe you had plans for traveling in retirement um, more to, to travel more aggressively than than you yep. might do sooner. And so does the calculus change in your mind as to, okay, we've got these resources and there's a chance that I could live, you know, a long time, but I also sort of feel like, you know, I'm on borrowed time, right? I've had two critical illnesses. Do you think about spending some of that money more aggressively today to sort of take advantage of the time that you do have while you are still having the quality of life so that you could do certain things? You know, all of those questions just flooded into me in the early fall of last year. And it and not because and the reason why they came up was if you look at it in like there's a part A and a part B to the financial conversation you have. The part A was all the immediate decisions that we had to make. And, and you know, and so we got the, we had critical illness insurance. Okay, let's apply for that. Got that paid out. We had disability insurance. Apply for that. Claim was accepted. We needed to uh, figure out some cost management and so on and so forth. Now, everybody was because of COVID. Had people a lot of work or you know, they were on CERB or whatever. So, um, so this was a common practice. Everyone was participating in, and we'd made the decision to, uh, get rid of one of our cars, uh, and just be a single car family. And we were barely using that <laughs> still, you know, in, in the COVID, right, COVID yeah. year. Um, so, um, so all, you know, the, these sort of practical plan for understood about things were all being dealt with in the first few months after then these sort of, you know, existential questions you're getting at sort of came up and, but they become very real and it's bizarre because you're, you're facing, you know, sort of like this in some ways sort of terrifying question and at, but even those eventually round back to practical decisions that you have to make. I started thinking, well, you know, what, what am I going to do now? Should I get a job or should I, you know, or try and continue to try to, um, uh, uh, or pick up my, my effort to, um, do something freelance. And, um, you know, I was talking to the oncologist and, and he's saying, you know, at this point, maybe just like, we don't know where this is going to go, but you've got your disability insurance. You know, why don't you just focus on your health for a bit? And, and that, and that was generally the advice I'm getting from my friends and family and so on. But then, then, so I thought, so then I think about that and I think about, well, I learned a term that is common to people who under cancer treatment and that, you know, Periodically, you have to go for a scan that measures the progress or, or hopefully the reversal of your tumors and everything. And so you develop what's called scanxiety, mm. <laughs> anxiety around the scan. And so sure. leading up to the end of October, when the first one was coming, is when I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about it uh, from a very, um, you know, like the, the, the sort of like uh, darkest thoughts where, you know, I might not be here that long. 
And so I like, what do I need to take care of, uh, you know, for, uh, my family in terms of, you know, so I actually had where conversations with my financial advisor and, um, uh, one of her assistants, I had a few of those where it was just me on the phone, not Jeanette, not my wife or anything. I just, cause I didn't want her to be sort of hearing some of this. And cause I was asking sort of things. So how do, what do I have to do? Like, are there things I have to get in order? What, what are they? And so, um, and I wasn't a mess. I was, as I was, you know, discussing these things and, um, uh, because I kind of processed the thought that the thought of it, the terror of your own, life ending a lot shorter than you wanted it to and then moved on to okay but what do we do between now and whatever if it's a number of years that i can count on one hand that i have left according to the stats kind of thing then i want to i'm going to be doing stuff with Jeanette i want to i want us to go do stuff and you know it's which was what we were planning for early retirement years anyways but now you're trying to move it up to your point um and then, um, but, you know, this is where the COVID wrench gets thrown into it too, because whatever plans or thoughts or, or ideas that, that I, I wanted to do, well, they were limited as they were for everyone else uh, in that, like, you know, so we couldn't take a couple months and go south for the winter or anything like that because of the, the situation. Since then, I've been had those, those conversations have continued and they, they've kind of come full circle to the point where in, in my last scan that I had in January, it had some very good news and then it, it showed a, 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 a complete disappearance of a lot of the spots that they initially had identified as potentially cancer. Uh, and they said either the pills cleaned it up or it was post-surgical scarring and, and other, or, you know, uh, fluids that were in your cyst, you know, in your chest at the time. And from a money perspective, well, that then throws the ball court. Okay, so I have the risk of not, of maybe not having a lot of 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 runway left, but wanting to do a lot of things, which I have to fund now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also the, the risk of the runway being a lot longer than I thought, it's, and it's as long as what it might have been otherwise. In which case you know, the longevity risk is there again. <laughs> and so you're, and it's like, I, I'm going, I, it, at some point it's actually amusing to me because these are, these are things and topics that I've written about and discussed about and whatever. And it's always been theoretical. And right. here I am living these, these very real decisions. Not that other people haven't lived them before me. I'm not the first person, but there is certainly a change in perspective from being the person that in the past I would have interviewed <laughs> <laughs> to right. talk about. No, no, I totally get it. I mean, so many so many of these financial decisions we make, they are so abstract because we're just not connected to these future potential realities. I mean, you've seen the studies that that show you that you know, ask someone how much they want to save for retirement, they'll say X. You then show them a rendering of what they will look like when they're 70 and then ask them how much do you want to save for retirement, they'll say, well, it's greater than X, right? And so the more or I guess the more concrete and less abstract you can make those those future realities, the more real they get and they affect the decisions that we make. But for the most part, people do sort of look at these as more abstract decisions. Say, well, I know the right thing to do is to, you know, make sure that I have proper disability insurance and to save for retirement. But, you know, you <laughs> the gravity of that becomes heavier as those things approach. And when you have 
these other realities that get thrust upon you, it just completely turns the world upside down. Yeah, that's a very accurate description. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're having to have these human conversations with, you know, your spouse and your children, or adult, in my case, my adult children, about these different possibilities. And, you know, uh, and, you, and you get to a point where you don't want that to be your everyday life, you know, right. you want to uh, just sort of see people and visit and enjoy people and stuff. Um, but, you know, at, I, um, it's, it's once you get past the terror, which is going to be there, initially it's just so odd how quickly you flip the switch over to logical thinking again and it comes into play uh and you you start sorting through actual decisions you have to make that have a practical implication on 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 money and your lifestyle and everything else um but you know it can be and i can get you know if you're the person who's gone through the you you might be in a situation where you're at a point where you can talk about those things sooner than, you know, maybe your close friends and, and your family are comfortable talking about them with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've like, I've been on walks with a friend or where, you know, it blurted out, well, you know, I might not even be here in a couple of years and blah, blah. And I've just sort of dropped that as a little thing. <laughs> and then I'm realizing, thinking about it from the other person's perspective, right. hey, man, don't say that. What the hell? They don't want to hear that. Like, and it's like, so um, one of the most helpful pieces of advice I got was um, from uh, a friend of a friend, and both the friend and this friend of the friend are both financial services uh, people, education people, and so on. And um, this, uh, so my, the, the friend in between introduced the two of us, and this lady um, had a chat with me. Um, she's got lung cancer, the same kind I have, and uh, she gave me a, some advice to pop uh, to follow a couple of um, patient support groups that are on like Facebook, and they're, they're, the incredible thing, Preet, is that there's these groups, and they're actually specific not just to the kind of cancer you have, but right down to the kind of mutation you have, mm-hmm. and then the pill that you're on. So I'm in one right. of those groups where everyone has the exact same lung cancer, the exact same submutation. And then they're on the exact same medication. And so you're in that group and you're talking. Now, a lot of the discussion is, hey, does anyone have, uh, you know, this side effect, uh, you know, or, or some, but there's also people there sort of saying, you know, last night I talked to my family about X or Y and, uh, you know, I realized one mistake I've been making is, you know, I need to lay the groundwork a little f- sooner as to what we're going to be talking about. So people are prepared, you know, it's like real right. practical advice about how you, um, you know, deal with your friends and family and about these topics. But I, 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 and I don't want to give the impression that I'm constantly just thinking about the financial aspect of it. It's just that your life and, and, and is so tied to money decisions throughout it, as you know, I mean, you've dedicated your life to educating people about this, um, that, uh, it, yeah, and when it moves from the theoretical to the highly, highly personal, it, uh, it's a, a very, very different feeling. I remember back when I was an advisor and I was insurance licensed. And I remember uh, a senior advisor in the office. He, he took me aside and he said, you know, you really need to, to think about insurance and the role that it plays in financial planning uh, and risk mitigation. It, it, it's key. And he said, 
you know, most advisors don't really become true advisors until they have to deliver like a death benefit check. And so one of their clients, you know, passes away and, you know, they had insurance yeah. in place, they deliver that check and they see the impact of that. The The person who died doesn't, but, you know, yeah. they, hopefully they had at least that peace of mind knowing that they had that coverage. But, you know, especially when it's unexpected. And, and he said, you know, if you take a look at all the advisors uh, and planners out there who have had a client have a critical illness, uh, a death, a disability, and then there was some plan in place, that advisor, that's when they become really like an advisor or planner. That's when it's kind of like Neo, you know, yeah. all of a sudden he sees the matrix. Instead <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's it's like that, 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 that moment. And that the doesn't, pill moment. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't just happen just by thinking about it. It's something has to happen to you for you to see the world in a different way. Kind of like, you know, what you've described, but I think the last thing that I wanted to um, leave off on is, you know, you've shared a lot of advice for people, um, you know, the, the takeaways. And, and because you are, you know, a financial educator yourself, you know, what is sort of the advice that you have for anyone, whether it's planners, uh, uh, individuals, what do you want people to take away uh, from your sharing this story? Yeah, I think... Um I guess there's, uh, you know, I've wrestled with that because I people some have asked me that question, not quite the way you've asked it, but they've said, you know, what's your your biggest takeaway of the last, you know, um, you know, several months, you three quarters of a year now, um, and it's, uh, I think it boils down to two different things from a sort of a from a sort of purely sort of financial education side point. <laughs> It's like, um, I remember a friend of mine who was more of a pure marketer had once said to me, you know, we, we work in a, a category that, uh, that's a low interest category. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, said, well, you know, if like we were in the entertainment industry or whatever, whatever, you know, it's not hard to get people's attention because this is what they're craving. Um, but it's, it's remarkably, um, not everyone... <laughs> gets up every morning and goes, gee, I really want to get educated about actuarial tables. <laughs> and not that you have to go that far, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, so it's a low, it, 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 but there's a, and, and it's not, people think there's a binary choice between being completely uneducated and mm -hmm. becoming a financial expert. And it's right. not, it's just right. a path. It's, it's a path that you walk down and it doesn't mean you, you, you're not going to use professional advice. It, you know, if that's what you want. The bigger problem isn't people, you know, wondering if they should use professional advice. It's if that if they do, they think they now have they can shut off their education, <laughs> you know, valve. Oh, I have someone who takes care of that. The bank takes care of that. My broker takes care of that. You know, my financial planner or my accountant. And never surrender to any professional, no matter, that's nothing to do with their integrity. It has to do with your own understanding of the decisions you have to make. Never surrendering any of your decision-making and your, your ability to learn about these things. Uh, and so that's what I've tried to, you know, instill in my own kids. Um, uh, you know, one of your sort of colleagues in the, in the industry, Kelly Keene, wrote a book a couple years ago. 
uh, that I understand she just updated with some COVID stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's called uh, Talk Money to Me. Yes. Right? So, and, and it's a new COVID updated edition, which uh, I think just launched on Wednesday, yeah. February the 24th. But the original version, a couple Christmases ago, I basically bought all three of my kids a copy. And I said, read this book. And when you've completed reading it, I'm going to give you you know, X number of dollars. So and it, was a, it, was a, it was an incentive type uh, deal. Um, but one of them, you know, had completed it within a couple of months, the other one a few months later, and the other one took her more a year. <laughs> but the point is, um, in, in it was, this isn't, no one's saying you have to go get your MBA in financial services. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the more you understand the basics, and, and that means, and as you know, the most frustrating thing is that people will have a, a benefits package of work that they don't really look at, and then they don't understand, for instance, uh, the RSP matching. And, and so they're literally leaving money on the table, which is the expression that we used in the industry to sort of talk, don't leave money on the table. So you mean, so, you know, that you've got to lower your zero to include you paying <laughs> every penny of room that you have that gets matched. And then, then from there, plan your, your spending. So, so, there, so, so oddly... One, it's it's that lesson of living beneath your means, which is the the so that you have some flexibility to to do risk mitigation, savings, and 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 so on, and planning. Uh, so that's that that was sort of one I was just thankful for that I'd gotten into that strategy. And again, I told you before, I'm not great at budgeting, so I didn't. We we pay yourself first instead, right? As a way yeah. of, of of forced budgeting. But then on the sort of more sort of broader view when you think, you know, life and everything. Um, I, I think it boils down to this. I, I've kind of made this point that if my uh, existence is going to be a lot shorter than I'd hoped, uh, and, the, and and I believe me, I totally have hope that it won't be, and there's reason, actual, you know, medical reasons to believe that, you know, it, it could be much better than it initially appeared that it might be, um, one should live one's life with that in mind. And I want to live my life, you know, uh, by, and and if you've asked me what the biggest takeaway is, I've embraced gratefulness in a way like I haven't done for a long, long time. I am so, I get so much joy just for taking my dog on a seven or eight K walk um, down a, you know, a Creek park uh, in, in Mississauga. And, um, and, and, you know, it's uh, just uh, uh, there's joy in that. There's joy in just spending some time with my family, and we've all had to endure this crazy year that's stressed and and caused us uh, a grief in different ways. And for some people, losing loved ones is part of the the, the grief. But um, it it is, you know, I would say if if people could. Em- embrace like a gratefulness and then also an understanding of man every day is a gift and um, it doesn't mean that you know you have to climb a mountain every day or (laughs) be on a beach every day but you know um, you still if you could look at it and and I recognize even when I say that every day is a gift that there are times in my life when I heard that message too and 
Um, I thought I understood it, and I, I, you know, openly agreed with the person making that point and carpe diem and everything. But I guess there's a, as we've mentioned a few times in this conversation, there's a level of, man, this is so real for me now right. <laughs> that that it just drives it home. But that that, you know. Uh, from a life perspective point of view, that would be the thing that that I I, I take away from this, and I, I try other people to 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 benefit them by by espousing that point of view. Yeah, and I think um, to your first point, I think something that has kind of struck me as you were talking about, you know, having benefits at work, and you know, your sort of generation having gone through a couple of layoffs before. And I take a look at the world around me now and how there has been a shift where the liability has been shifted towards the worker from the company in terms of benefits as we have the gig economy, uh, a lot of people who are self-employed or working on contract. And they also may not sort of take a look at what the value of benefits are at, you know, some of the bigger sort of legacy companies. And so... You know, this this is kind of a blind spot for a lot of people, and they don't even have benefit coverage, whether it's private or through work. And I think that's something, especially for for people who are more you know self employed. And again, as that liability has been sort of shifted onto the individual, it's really something people need to take into account. Um, I see a lot of people who are self employed who don't have disability insurance, and you know, it's the first thing I'll tell them. You know, you yeah. need to get disability insurance if you're uh, self-employed or if you are, you know, working for a company and they don't have the appropriate level of coverage, you can get a piggyback plan. You can yeah. top up and it picks up where that one leaves off. But, um, you know, I, I want to say, Darren, um, you're uh, a great friend um, and uh, I, I'm glad to, to hear the latest round of news. You had told me about that where... <laughs> Uh, the sort of the the recent uh, progress update. So I'm I'm really glad to hear that, and I I look forward to, you know, swinging by when when the pandemic is you know yeah, lifted. We I mean, can man, visit. Like, and uh, I'm, gonna, a- I'm gonna drive over to Daddio's Donuts, pick up a box of donuts, <laughs> and then head on over. I'm only gonna let you have one because I guess okay. you, have, you have to be Fair mindful. Enough. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, and if. Uh, for a downtown trip for me to meet you would, would probably require us grabbing lunch at the Senator. Right. Yes. Yeah. Happy to do that anytime. <laughs> when that um, all can happen again. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll leave it there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share your story. I know a lot of people will, will benefit from it. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. Every day is a gift. If you want more personal finance content or you have questions for me or topic suggestions for the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Same handle in both cases, at Preet Banerjee. I also have two YouTube channels you can subscribe to. My main channel, which covers personal finance and investing topics that are global in scope, and a Canadian-specific channel as well. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening.